0: Genesis 1 is where we're going to continue to be tonight in our series. Um, The title of the message is Creation Complete. Creation Complete. And, uh, uh, you know, this has been a different kind of series for us on Sundays, right? We're going through Ephesians, and uh, there's a lot of uh, personal application directly from the text. Um, But what we're reading today is not a letter. Uh, It is a historical account. And so... Uh, It's kind of been an interesting ride the last few weeks with you guys, Uh, and even in my study time, it's of course been very biblical uh, in in its focus, but there's a lot of history involved there. There's a lot of science, and so in a way, it's been a Bible history and science class uh, all wrapped up into one, and so uh, I hope that you have been enjoying it, and uh, we're going to come to the end. Of God's initial creation tonight, and so uh, we're going to see that completed. We're going to find out tonight that God truly saved the best for last, Uh, and that is you and I, uh, humanity, mankind, the pinnacle and crown jewel of God's creation is you and is myself, Uh, and in the beginning was Adam and Eve. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word tonight? We don't always do this on Wednesday, but I think tonight's reading is fitting for our reverence and respect for the Lord. So why don't you stand with me? Have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, you can just raise your hand and our leaders would love to be able to get you one. Uh, But we want to make sure you have one tonight and uh, for you to be able to to follow along with us. Uh, Genesis hopefully isn't too difficult for you to find, but it might be. It's the very first book in the Bible. So even if you never opened a Bible... Uh, tonight you'll be able to hopefully find it. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26, and we're going to dive in then to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We've got one more Bible here up in the front uh, with his hand raised. Perfect. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, it's everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth in the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And finally, verse 7... And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Father, we believe this is your word. This is not a poetical, fanciful account. This is history. This is fact. This is truth. And God, we pray that you would open our eyes to your scriptures this evening. We love you. And pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God truly saved the best for last. We come to God's final creation. And I believe it was intentional. You see, earth was created for man Man was not created for earth. God's whole design in the last six days that we've been walking through in these series has all been for the purpose to make man and put him on the earth. and so he saved the best for last. And we find this in the first part of our reading and in the last verse as well, which you can note on the screen. Now our first indication uh, through Genesis through the Bible that God, was one, is one, and yet more than one, if you can remember, was used in the Word of God when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word in Hebrew is Elohim. Everyone say Elohim. Uh, we talked about this a handful of weeks ago, and that, that word, it means one yet more than one. It, 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 is a, it is a plural version of the word for God. He could have used L, E-L, but he used the word Elohim. And we find this concept that God is one yet more than one, which is in reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. We find this confirmed in verses 26. Why? Well, look in your Bibles. We see it says this, verse 26. Then God, singular, Elohim, said, Let us, plural, make man in our image. We see this very interesting thing happen. We see a conversation between God. And so this is an indication to us, he wasn't speaking to angels. He wasn't speaking to any man or woman because he had not yet created them. And so he is speaking amongst what we know as the Godhead. Let us make man in our image. We see this council begin to happen. They begin to converse, and say, let us do this. Let us make man. Now, it's very clear in verse 26 and 27 that God created mankind. We didn't come uh, from nothing. Uh, We didn't come from uh, uh, an an, an animal. It wasn't that God used the process of evolution. And over time, though we were at one time monkeys and before that uh, uh, a fish and then before that a bird. uh, No, we see that God was directly involved. It was this council of the Godhead together. Let us make man. Four times he mentions here. He says, look at verse 26 and 27. He says, let us make man. And then it says, God created man. Then it says again, in, uh, it says, God created him. And then it says again, God, he created them. Four times in two verses, he is our creator. Everyone look at me tonight. God created you. Uh, just like we're going to talk a little bit more how he created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that God is still in the work and process of creating every single person individually. Uh, no, he doesn't do that where Adam and Eve were fully a fully grown man and a fully grown woman, but what he does is he is involved in that process in the womb of a mother, and he is forming and knitting and covering as the Bible tells us. Now, what makes this, the, the best for last? What, what makes a human so much different than an animal? Don't animals have worth? Uh, what makes this so much, what makes the best for last a human? What makes us different than anything else? Well, notice in these, verse, these two verses, 26 and 27, look in your Bibles. You won't, even, you won't only notice that it's clear that God created mankind, but also that he created them in his image additional four times it says that 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 we're in our image according to our likeness the godhead in his own image and the image of god four times this truth is repeated in two verses what is god communicating he's communicating number 1 i created you secondly I created you different than everything else because I put my image on you. He didn't put his image on your dog, no matter how much you love him. He didn't put his image on your mom's succulent uh, or flowers or fruit tree. No, he, he, he didn't put his image on anything else. It wasn't on the moon. It wasn't on the stars. It wasn't on uh, be- Beetle Geese, this huge star that's really far away, if you know what I'm talking about. He put his image on you which makes you distinctly different and which is the reason why he has saved the best for last. Now, what does it mean that we're created in the image of God? It's not the fact that you are now little gods. Like when he created Adam, he's like, oh, little God Adam and little God Eve. And now everyone that comes is this little God. No, it's not that idea. It's the fact that we, by our very nature, reflect who God is, that we are an image bearer. Let me give you an illustration. You see, uh, this is a portrait. I don't know who that guy is, but I found him online and I stuck him on the PowerPoint. Now, this is a portrait, meaning that this was a person that somebody painted. They looked at the person, they looked at their canvas, they looked at their person, they looked at their canvas, and the portrait is like the person. The person, whoever this dude is, is not like the portrait. Meaning it only goes one way, that this man's image was painted and stuck on this canvas. And I'll put on this screen. Or well, it's kind of like a model airplane to an airplane. Uh, I don't know who this is, and I don't know what kind of airplane that is, but nonetheless, that is a model airplane. That there was an actual airplane that could fly, And this is a smaller example or model of that airplane. You see, the model is like the original, but the original is not like the model. This came because of the actual uh, um, uh, thing. Short and simple. I want you to write this down. Images are made to image okay? Images are made to image. Another way to put it, an image is made to reflect. You see, a statue, when someone creates a statue, it's for the purpose that when you look at the statue, you would think about the original, right? I don't know if you guys have ever been to Washington, D.C. and saw Mr. Lincoln uh, uh, carved up all nice. He's got a very a large place where uh, there's this ginormous carving and, and some words that he spoke. Why is that there? It's so that you and I, who never met Abraham Lincoln, nor were alive when he was alive, can go to this memorial and see not only what he looked like, but what he stood for. This is an image of Abraham Lincoln. Is that Abraham Lincoln? Certainly Not. It's not actually him. It is an image of him meant to bring to mind and the reality who is being thought of. Now, unlike a statue that is still or a portrait that is hung, God breathes life into his image. There's no life. When you go to the Lincoln Memorial, that statue ain't gonna get up and start shaking your hand and, uh, and reciting all of Lincoln's famous speeches, as cool as that might be. Maybe that's a future thing, but not yet. That, that God breathed life into his image. It's not just a portrait or a statue. You see, it is the image or the likeness of God that distinguishes man from animals. And this is where, if someone doesn't have the perspective of Genesis chapter 1, What's the difference between you or I and animals? Really, we're just higher class, higher developed animals. But you see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you and I are all different, and we'll see in a moment given dominion over the animals. So what does it mean, though? What does this practically look like that we are made in his image? And what way do you and I as humans, mankind, male and female only, because that's what God created them as, and God doesn't make mistakes. That he didn't, uh, um, he didn't just mean for his creation uh, to—I've lost my train of thought. My train of thought was the fact that what, what does this look like? How do we reflect him? Well, it's the fact that um, not only is it things that we can't see, but I think there are some similarity in, in the ways that we can see Now, the Bible says that you and I have eyes that can see, yes? And we have eyes that can see. The Bible tells us that God sees. Now, does God have eyes? The Bible says that God is spirit. And so, yes, he, he became a man. Jesus became a man, part of that Godhead. But God, as we know him, is spirit. He's not a physical being. He created everything physical. Now, we have ears that can hear. And the Bible tells us that, God hears, right? The Bible tells us that God hears our prayers. Now, does that mean God has ears? Not necessarily. But there are things about our physical body that reflect him. We have a mouth that can speak. The Bible tells us that God speaks. We have a mind to be able to think. And the Bible tells us that God has thoughts. I'll break it down to you in in four ways. And this is not the the, the only thing we're talking about tonight. And so we got to do more of an overview. But for me, this was helpful, and not only, yes, there are some physical things that, that, that we have or do that, that show that we're made in God's image, but also there are some things like that, like animals have eyes, and they don't, they're not made in God's image. And so I think more of this idea is found in these four concepts. It's the fact that mentally, we're very different than anything God created. We have the ability to, to reason we have the ability to to sophistic uh, to have sophisticated communication. We can talk. There are many languages. Uh, you know, the the animal kind can only talk so much, uh, but you and I are able to to communicate clearly. We have a creative ability to, to design and to um, and to build. We have uh, our, our personality and our individual uniqueness, uh, and, we, and we see this in life. And so mentally, we're altogether distinct and different, nothing else like us. And that's scientifically backed. Uh, morally, though, secondly, morally, uh, the Bible says that God has given us a conscience. You know what a conscience is? It's that, it's that internal conscience. Uh, voice it's that internal ability to know right and wrong whether you were taught it or not that God has put this this conscience in every single uh, man and though that can differ from culture to culture there is this this universal understanding of right and wrong different than 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 any kind of animals relationally we're very relational beings God saw that it was good Uh, that it was not good that man be alone. And so God created Eve. God walked in the coolness of the garden, the Bible says, with Adam and Eve. And then fourthly and finally here, spiritually. This is a big difference. As much as you 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 like your puppy dog, your puppy dog does not have the capacity to pray, does not have the capacity to know God. If you were here on Sunday, we talked about not just knowing about God, facts, uh, animals might be able to regurgitate movements and you've seen maybe you know, incredible things that they can do with chimpanzees. In Thailand, you can see uh, elephants paint pictures. It's incredible. Uh, but, but, but they don't have the capacity to commune and, and fellowship with God altogether different. You, have, you and I have a spirit that God's given us to know him who is spirit. Now, when you boil all this down, this is the only reason that you and I can claim that there's value to life. You see, if we take the Bible and throw it out and just think about life from a, a, a merely naturalistic point of view, this is where you get theories and, and different thoughts of evolution and, and, and uh, uh, survival of the fittest and, and things along that line, then there is no such thing as right and wrong. And there is no such thing as a as value of a life, that your life is no more valuable than the life of a rat, than the life of a, of a possum. Now you and I distinctively know in our minds that there's a difference between a baby and a possum, yes? You see, the only basis that anyone has to claim that there's value to human life is because you and I have been made in the image of God. Outside of that there is no there's no reason, there's no benefit. I also want to share with you Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. this was what I wanted to uh, this is the last verse with was in our reading and I'll kind of explain that in a moment but we basically get a detailed understanding of how God created, Adam uh, and Eve. And this kind of gives us the details. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You see, this is where it becomes different as well. In our six days that we've been studying, God would speak and things would happen. He said, Let the earth bring forth birds of the air. Let the earth bring forth the the plants of the ground. Let there be light. He spoke, but here we see something different. We see God up close and personal. Notice the word there, the Lord God formed. That means to shape. The, The word pictures how a potter would take a lump of clay and would take water and put it on its wheel and begin to mold and shape and and, and use his, his his hands and be up and in on what is happening. That's the picture that God wasn't just, didn't just speak and say, let there be man. It says that God formed man to fashion, to shape, to forge. You see, everyone look at me. You were made and formed by divine design. It wasn't that God just kind of said, oh, well, we'll put it in a machine and see what pops out. No, God said, I formed Adam by my hands. And I believe that God is still doing the same thing today. And so when you were in the womb of your mother, it was God who presided over that and formed and knitted, as David tells us in Psalm 139. Now, God didn't do this for the animals, did he? He he, he didn't. Animals have the breath of life, but God has never seen breathing into the animals in what we have been studying. You see, I mean, notice, think about this. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's pretty up close and personal if you ask me. I don't want any of y'all breathing into my nostrils, okay? Now, listen, man didn't become a living creature like the animals. He became a living being. Notice the, the end here living being. And God makes this, this distinction, this difference, saying, I created creatures, but man is a being, a living being. See, what the Bible is communicating to us is that we are not these high-level animals, but we are altogether different and altogether more. You know, it's kind of interesting. You and I were made of the dust of the ground. Do You guys see that? Dust of the ground. Or dirt, uh, the, the word is not just like dust that you like get on, you know, that your, your mom gives you one of those feather things you have to go around the house. It's not just like dust, skin particles. Uh, du- uh, dust of the ground is the idea of dirt and clay. That God took something that was already existing that he created and began to use that to mold and, and shape us. Now, what's so interesting about this is that modern science tells us this is absolutely true. Look at your body right now. Your, your scientific material makeup is the same as if we went out to this dirt field and, and, and got a, a, a whole thing of dirt and, and, and began to put that under a microscope. We're, the sa- we're different. Uh, sorry, we're the same. The difference is that God was the one who formed us, meaning that you can't take dirt into a laboratory and make a human that were way too complex. You take one skin cell and you can't even replicate it. And so it was the fact that God did the forming and no man can replicate it, but it's also the fact that he breathed life into them. Job 34 verses 14 to 15, I think is pretty interesting. It says this, if he should set his heart on it and if he being God should gather to himself his spirit and his breath all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So let's say God went back on, on Genesis 2-7 and said, you know what? I'm going to take my breath back. I'm going to take the spirit of God that I put into man to give him life, animation, energy, movement. I'm going to take that back. You and I would just become dust once more. We become dirt. And it's really interesting. The Bible uh, often kind of alludes to this, this fact that we're made of, of dirt. Um. And even psalmists, different psalmists would, would pray, you know, God, what, what is it? why are you mindful of me? Uh, you know I'm made of but dust. Which means that you and I are, are nothing but dust without the breath of the living God in us. He is what makes us the best for last. We see a parallel of this in the Gospels. When Jesus breathes new life into his disciples. John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22 says this. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. This is when the disciples are in the upper room, scared for their life. They, they heard Jesus. It's kind of back, but not really sure. He appears to them. He says, peace. And then look at verse 22. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. Verse 22 And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that is a direct parallel of Genesis 2-7. You see, why did they need another breath of life? Wasn't the first one good enough? Well, soon in our study, we're going to get to Genesis 3, where death entered the world. You see, when Jesus breathed on the disciples, I mean, think about the picture of that. Here are these, these now 11 guys and Jesus goes up to them and what does he do? Is he like, Whew. does he do it like individually? Or is it like they're 12 and he's like. So what he it said, it, he did. Did he go up to them? You know, I, I don't know, but he breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe in that moment, now the disciples, the 11, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. They are new creations in Christ. They were now, now redeemed. And we see kind of this, this parallel. They're born again. And so it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you and I not only need the breath of life, all of us, regardless of if you're saved or not, you have the breath of life, but you need a fresh breath from Jesus to have eternal life now look back in genesis with me after god creates and forms and breathes into man look at verses 28 and 30 verses 28 29 and 30 we see something happen here and it's similar but then different than what he did with the animals we saw him create the animals and then he blessed them and said hey go uh, be fruitful multiply he said that to, to all the animals and he says that to, to uh, Adam and Eve. He says, he says he blesses them, meaning he shows favor and kindness. He says be fruitful and multiply, reproduce, be, fill the earth. But what makes this different is what he does. It is here that God crowns Adam with position and possession. He basically, have you ever seen like those old, old movies or different movies that have to do with like knights and things? Like when someone gets knighted, right? They, they, get, they put their, their knee on the ground and then the person who is a greater authority gives them authority. That's really what's happening here. You see, God has ultimate authority because he created everything. Everything that we've been learning gives God the right to do anything he wants. Yes? That's why he named the things that he named. He he named uh, heaven, heaven. He named day, day. He, He did that because he created it. And when you own something, you get to name it what you want, yes? Now, here, he basically extends his authority, power, and dominion and says, Adam, I now give you rulership. He says, go and subdue the earth and have dominion. You'll notice on the screen that these are military terms. It literally means to conquer and rule. God says, I created this earth, and Adam, here are the keys. It's yours. Not just Eden. The whole earth is yours. Go and, and cultivate it, right? We, we know subdue has to do with the environment. And we see that he started in Eden, right? Adam's first job. Anyone know what Adam's first job was? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that was his second job, along with it. First job, yeah. Uh, to help the animals? Uh, no, so he so that's why he said name the animals, help the animals. That's that's that's, that's it's with it. Yes. No, y- true, true. But 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 once we see him in the garden, what was God said? Hey, I, this is this is your job. Yeah. No, no, that was his instruction. His job was to cultivate it. He was to tend and keep the garden. That was his first job. Later on, God's like, oh, you look lonely. Let's bring some animals and you can name them. Uh, And and then he got Eve and different things happened like that. But to tend and to keep the garden, that's what it means to subdue. It means to to have reign over what God created. The idea of dominion, though, is that he would become the caretaker of the world. Adam, God's like, hey, I created this, this world. Here are the keys. I knight you, I give you power. I want you to look after it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to subdue it. You conquer, this is your territory. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. God has ultimate dominion over everything, but now he extends part of that dominion to Adam. Now, what we'll see in a couple weeks is Adam then forfeits that dominion. And, and, and that ownership, that dominion that he was to have, unfortunately, will go to Satan himself, who will be known as the prince of the power of the air and the god of this world. Now, this concept, though, goes against, have you guys ever heard of environmentalism? So environmentalism is a big word that basically believes, modern environmentalism preaches that you and I are a plague to this earth. Typically, what goes along with this is things like global warming, uh, tree hugger societies, just crazy type of people, okay? But they exist. And their thought is that you and I are ruining the earth. That because of all of the, the, the trash that we have and and uh, all of our, our pollution and driving gas cars, that we're going to drive this world into the ground and, that, and that, that, that we are a plague on the earth. The Bible teaches that the earth was made for us, we were not made for the earth. Yes, there was some of that dominion forfeited, but this mandate still applies today is that we are to have dominion, conquer, and and rulership over the earth. The problem is that we just don't do that very well. And so notice verse 31, God looks at everything. He steps back and what does he say? Everything is very good. And so we see the creation completed. Day six. Second thing we're looking at today Uh, And we're going to go through this much quicker because we're only at three verses. We see day seven, okay? He creates everything in six days, but then on day seven is rest day. Now, don't get me wrong. He does not rest because he needed it. He rests because he was done. Day six, at the end of that, that was the completion. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Man was the last thing he created, and so he rested. If you take your notes, the word rest here means to complete or to cease. It can mean, this, this word in Hebrew is at times applied when someone is weary and tired, and so they need rest. But there's also many contexts, and this one would be concluded, is that God said, I'm done. That, that is my initial creation and it is very good. I want you to note down that in verses two and three, okay, verse two and three of Genesis chapter two, God is referenced 10 times in just two verses. Don't believe me? Count it. Look at verses two and three in your Bibles. God, it doesn't only say God, it says he, I counted it today. So i i I know it, I know it's there. God is referenced 10 times in two verses. Why? Because he is the emphasis here. God says, I am done. I, I finished my work and it is very good. I've, uh, I shared with you one of our, our, I think it was our second study that why, why did God do this in seven days? Remember, I, I asked you the question of, could God have done it in one day? And what's the answer? Could God have done it in half a day, one hour, one minute, one second, no time at all? Yes, Yes, because he created time, Genesis 1-1. So why did he choose to do it in seven days? There's a lot of uh, things that we can guess. There's a lot of things that we can think of. One of them is to establish what is known as the week, the seven-day period of time. Because later we know he's going to use this, Exodus 20-11. I shared with you this and one of our studies, but I want to share it again. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and holiday. And that's what we see here. Now, now why? Well, because God wanted to, but it seems like He establishes what is known as, as the week, right? Seven days, seven day period of time. What day of the week is it today? Now, you and I in America, we call it Wednesday. Now, it's been called different things over, over, um, uh, over history. But for the most part, this has been something universal for all of history. There's been some who probably, uh, fueled by Satan out of, re- of a rebellion against God, uh, tried to change it into a six-day or an eight-day. But a seven-day week is universal throughout history. Now, what's interesting about this is it's not based on anything but God's word. Meaning our day, and I, and I shared this with you, our 24-hour period of time. Do you, does anyone know what that's based off of? How do we know that there's 24 hours in a day? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So basically 24 hours is how long it takes uh, approximately uh, for the earth to rotate around its own axis, right? And then a month, we know that the month is based upon the moon, uh, and that's how we get our 12 lunar months, And then a year, 365-ish days, that that can differ. uh, That's based upon how long it takes the earth to go around the sun. But there's no no reason for us to have a seven-day work. It's not based upon anything other than the word of God, which is just one more point uh, for the Lord, no doubt. Now, though God rested from this work, it doesn't mean that God was done working. Okay, he was done creating. God's, God's never created something else in regards to uh, creation. He made everything to be able to reproduce itself, right? He's involved in the creation of, of man. He's still involved. in even the sparrow that dies, God says, I know about that sparrow. Uh, and I feed them and I take care of them uh, to the smallest of things. But it was soon after this creation, it would be cursed because of man's disobedience And would set into motion, God's next work after creation, would be his work of redemption. And we'll find this in Genesis chapter 3. But I want to share with you John chapter 5. John chapter 5 records for us a situation where the Jews sought to kill Jesus, and Jesus responds this to them. Okay, look on the screen. It says, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath, which it was Jesus who established the Sabbath in the first place. But notice what verse 17 says. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. What's the work that Jesus does? Because we see here four times in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, God says that he finished his work. It's complete. But we know because of sin, God had to start his work of redemption. But what this parallels for us in the New Testament is what Jesus would say on the cross. Um, And we find it very similar. Do you remember what the last thing that Jesus said on the cross is? One of the last things? Sorry, in some, some gospels. Yeah. So that was one of the things, they know not what they do, but think about what we just talked about, the the idea of finished, Jonathan, it is finished, finished. sounds very familiar to what we just read, four times in three verses, God says, and my work was done, my work was finished, sin started up that work of redemption, but Jesus through his work um, was able to say it is finished and now provides a way for us to enter that rest that was supplied through the work of Jesus upon the cross. You see, what you and I never, never can forget, everyone look at me, what we need to remember is that it is in the volume of the book that speaks of Jesus. And so though we're in Genesis chapter 2, very far from the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we find Genesis chapter 2, we see these parallels, these symbolisms it points to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, as we begin to make our way to close, some would argue that these three verses of chapter two, and I would be one of them, should really be the last three verses of chapter one. That chapter one, you know the Bible chapters and verses aren't inspired, right? God didn't put chapters and verses in the Bible. Those came after, very helpful. We're very glad so we don't just have to say, hey, turn somewhere in Genesis and and it's good luck. So it's very helpful. But I believe that these three verses that we just read, that we just went over, should fit into chapter one. It should be the seven days of creation, chapter one. Because there's a transition that comes in chapter four. Genesis one is this overview of creation. One, day one through really should be day seven. But look at verse 4 in your Bibles. Verse 4 in your Bibles, there's a transition. You can see it on the screen. Verse 4 is the transition into basically narrowing down, going back, and focusing on day 6. So chapter 2 is this point where the camera angle changes, if you will. Okay, so chapter 1 is kind of this 30,000-foot overview. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And then starting in chapter two, verse four, the camera angle in a sense lands the plane and focuses on the details of day six and God's most important creation, which is man. And so next week together, we're going to get into more of, of the specifics of Adam and Eve. Someone talked about naming the animals earlier. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the very first marriage, Adam and Eve, and and we're going to see kind of the the details in that. So chapter 2 is not an additional account of creation. It's a focusing in on day 6, okay? But one of the changes and one of the reasons we know there's a transition here together uh, here is because it says this, Look on the screen or look in your Bibles. It says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the, what does it say? Lord God God made the earth and the heavens. That's different. It's very different. You see, in the past, in Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 2 verse 3, it is just referenced God as God. Elohim. Everyone say Elohim. But now there's this little addition, Lord, L-O-R-D. Have you ever seen that in your Bible before? Have you ever seen how it's all cap? Why? Why is that all capitalized? You see, God is just G-O-D, Elohim in Hebrew. But for whatever reason, and we're about to dive into it, Lord, L-O-R-D, is capitalized in your Bible sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just referencing like Lord like a master, Uh, or a king. But what this begins to do 6,500 times in the Old Testament, you will find L-O-R-D, all caps. What is this in reference to? It is this, Lord God is not just Elohim, that's God being one, but plural. Yahweh is what we know as God's personal name, You see, in verse 4, God begins to use, the author who is Moses, begins to use the personal name of God. This is the first out of over 6,500 times that we find this in the Old Testament. Now, the fancy theological term is that crazy word that you see on the screen, tetragrammaton. Try saying that, tetragrammaton. It is not a Autobot, okay? It's not a Transformer, though it sounds like one. The Tetragrammaton is, is basically the, the four letters. It means four letters. You see, the ancient Hebrew language in written form didn't have vowels. There's a handful of other reasons why we, why we only have uh, Y W. Uh, Sorry, Y-H-W-H as the name of God. That's what it would translate from Hebrew. We don't have the vowels. We have the consonants, but not the vowels. One of the reasons for this is ancient Jewish scribes, out of reverence for God's name, never wanted to say his name because they were nervous and worried about saying it in vain. Uh, as the commandment gives them. And so over time, they just began to use the consonants. And so um, our best understanding of how to say this is what you and I know as Yahweh. But all we have is YHWH. Now, why is this important and why am I bringing this up to you? Well, Yahweh is the personal name of God. And so it's something that we should know and know what it means and the first instance we have here, but we get an explanation, a, a further understanding when Moses is at the burning bush, Exodus 3 verse 14. Do you remember when Moses is at the bush and he's kind of arguing back and forth with God? He's like, I can't do it. I can't speak to them. I ain't going back. I've been here. I'm not I'm not going there. And he finds that, okay, well, God, when I go, am I going to tell him like a thing in a burning bush that wasn't actually burning told who do I tell them the Israelites that sent me and he said tell them I am who I am sent you and it's very it's like what in English it's 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 almost bizarre I am who I that's the that's who you want me to tell them that that sent me I am everyone say I am See, God's name is a reflection of his being. The idea that God is, is the idea that he is the only self-existent, self-sufficient being. He doesn't need anything or anyone. Only God has life in and of himself. He is the one, as Revelation says, is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He is the becoming one. We see this continue in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus says, I am the bread of life? I am the good shepherd. See, Jesus was referencing back to this very idea. Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, says this, Yahweh means the becoming one. As God relates to man and man's need, and he becomes to man whatever man may need. The idea of God being the I am, Yahweh, the becoming one, the self-sufficient God, and this is the personal name he gives us, is because God says, look to me because I am. You see, in the next two chapters of Genesis, chapters two and three, you wanna you want note this down. Lord God, or Yahweh Elohim, will appear 19 times. You see, when God begins to focus in on man and give us the details, He uses His personal name. You ever 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 seen a movie, or maybe you've experienced this in life, when when someone is kind of giving uh, respect to someone and, and calling them Mrs. or Mister or President or or whoever, and then the person responds is, and says, you know, call me John, call me Joe, like like you can you can not not that you can you know drop the reverence or the respect. Let's get personal. See, that's what, that's what God is. He's personal. Yes, he made everything. But he personally made you. For Adam and Eve, he was up in their business. He formed them. He breathed into their nostrils. And I think that's a picture to show that the God that we worship is near and close. He is all we need. He is Yahweh. So next week, we will dive into the details of man's creation, that instruction, uh, to where to, you know, that, that God gives. Someone had said, you know, it talks about the, the tree of, of, of um, the knowledge of, of good and evil, and we'll get into all that next week. But tonight as we worship, I want you to think about the personal nature of God, He's not a God that we just have to stand back and revere. We can get up close and personal and worship him. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for you in our life. Yahweh Elohim. The becoming one. You are all that we need. The great I am all powerful all knowing yet near personal that tonight around the globe in the mass existence of our universe lord what it is what is it that you are mindful of us we are but dust dirt of the ground Yet, Lord, we know that it is only because you breathe life into us that we are living. And we desire tonight, as Jesus was in that upper room and breathed on the disciples, and they received the Holy Spirit, we know because of sin, that marred image that you put on Adam and Eve is is here, but it's, it's destroyed, it's ruined. And we need that fresh breath of the spirit of the living God. And so, God, we pray that you would fill us tonight to overflowing. We recognize our great need. Lord, if you created us, which we believe you did, then, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so we look to you tonight. We fix our gaze upon you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.